welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we talk about things from One Life Church, but ultimately things we think can relate to you and your one and only life. My name is Sarah Inman. I'm one of your co-hosts, and we have uh, been in a series called Centered, and we're exploring worldviews. And our lead pastor and co-host of the podcast, Brett Nicholson, has been spending the beginning of the episodes of the podcast kind of doing a little bit of recap and a little bit of teaching. And so, Brett, it's all you. Hey, thank you, Sarah. Um, and the reason we're doing that, we said at the beginning, was uh, we want to build a Christ-centered worldview, but also build confidence in a Christ-centered worldview and the ability to have conversations. And that's what today is going to be all about, and that's what we've been talking about, because uh, you you don't know when you're going to fall into these conversations. People will ask you, uh, and and our our centerpiece verse has been 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. And so I've just been encouraging everybody just to make that kind of this guiding system uh, idea in your mind uh, as you're talking to people, both in regular conversations and on social media, because a lot of uh, people tend to be a lot more open on social media. So these kinds of discussions do happen where people challenge ideas and all that. And it's very important to keep, especially that second part in mind, where do this with gentleness and respect, because the temptation when you're writing, you're not face to face with someone is not to be gentle or respectful. So just remembering that part. But uh, all I want to do today is I want to remind everybody every every week of this series, I've had a board up where I write down four words and I say, and it's really set up as an assessment tool for worldviews, your own and someone else's, just kind of a little model to have inside your head. And we say all worldviews, all belief systems can be made up of four essential things. Number one, claims. Every worldview makes a claim. Every worldview has reasons. People have reasons for why they believe. They all have implications that we sometimes don't understand, but it's good reflect on. And then finally, beliefs lead to actions. And sometimes in the reverse, we'll talk about that apparently today, uh, actions can <laughs> lead to beliefs, uh, which is true. It, it, I, I should have put it almost a circle uh, because that would be maybe a more accurate way to say it. But I'm thinking in terms of when you're talking to someone, use that as a grid. And what I mean by that is uh, we've talked a lot about and have a, how to have faith conversations really is about asking questions, being curious about someone's life, getting their story. And that's what you're doing with claims. Like find Finding out, and Braxton talks about, talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said, you know, you can sometimes get people to say, hey, you can ask them, um, what do you think the meaning of life is? Or where do you think everything came from? Or who do you think we are as human beings? You ever think about that kind of stuff before? Uh, sometimes I'll start with a simple, uh, what's your church background? And usually people will launch into kind of, uh, and they'll be either negative about it or positive about it, but you can get people to talk about those things. And then what you're trying to do, again, Letting it's not all about telling people something, it's asking people things. So find out what their claims are. And then the next thing is, it can always be very interesting just to ask, uh, what led you to come to those conclusions? Like, and you're trying to get them to relate. Uh, you know, I rejected church, or I or say it's an atheist. I, I rejected the whole God thing a long time ago because, first of all, I asked a lot of questions. I have a friend of mine that said this. Um, I had a lot of questions in Sunday school, and I would ask, and everybody would always just come back with, well, don't worry about it. Just believe. Just believe. Just believe. And and it finally got to the point where no one can answer these things. I'm just supposed to believe or forget it because it sounds like you people are hiding something. But that was very, very important to know. And so it was very to know that it was very important to him that having reasons to believe was a very, very high priority. But I would have known that if I hadn't asked the question. So uh, that's that's a key thing. So tracking down why people have come to believe and not judging that one way or the other because people believe for emotional reasons people believe for intellectual reasons 
almost everyone forges their beliefs. It's a combination of experiences, relationships, uh, and movies they've seen or concerts they've gone to or, uh, or experiences they've had in school. And so that makes for great um, conversation ability just to dig into those things. And what we're going to do today is my perception is, is that we're having a couple guests. I couldn't be here I, for the, the conversation you're about to hear, but it is just uh, walking through someone's story from um, believing on one level, but then committing to Christ later and just kind of hearing about that adventure and what his experiences have been like. And so be thinking about those things of how does he define belief, uh, what are the reasons why he did certain things that he did, and just imagine yourself in a conversation like uh, like this with someone like this in your life. So just use it almost as a little training exercise inside your own mind. Yeah, you're going to hear uh, part one of a two-part conversation with a friend, Austin Maxheimer, and I had Zach Bilo come on and help me co-host, which was really fun. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode, and uh, yeah, here we go. talking about worldviews. What is a worldview? How we can have conversations with people of differing worldviews and um, just kind of having experiences in, um, in our own worldview. So uh, it's been really fun through this whole series. And uh, normally uh, we have our lead pastor, Brett Nicholson, with us. And Brett wasn't able to make it. So I got our friend Zach Bilo to send him with us. So Zach, Woo-hoo. thanks for co-hosting the podcast today. Yeah, I'm today. excited. I'm yeah. excited to look forward to it. It's going to be fun. And uh, we're going to be hanging out with our friend Austin Maxheimer, who we just realized this is his sixth time on the One Life Podcast. Sixth. More than Zach. Yeah, More true. than Zach, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what's funny is when I say that, people get mad at me. It's like, well, you never asked me on. So, But I, it's fun to have Austin on. He's always got great things to talk about. Oh, thank and, you. Um, he just keeps showing up. We don't invite yeah. him. Yeah, I just <laughs> He's just kind of sitting in the, every podcast. He's sitting back there just watching all of them. No, it's great. Um, but we, we kind of want to um, continue some of that conversation today. And um, yeah, I thought, you know, Zach and, and Austin have been friends for a long time and also um, both studying uh, different things in theology and philosophy and just being able to have great conversations. And so um, should be fun. Should be fun. It should. It should be. Um, and Austin, uh, we always want to make sure we highlight that um, you're part of Community One. You are the, I got to read this, the Neighborhood Revitalization Director. Yes, very fancy title. Uh, but in this nice uh, platform here at the One Life Podcast, I would share that um, certainly we do neighborhood revitalization work. That just means taking neighborhoods that have been disinvested over long periods of time and just re-injecting them with life through relationships with the residents. Uh, but for me in my uh, faith journey, I see it as a discipleship process. So as Jesus went to his ultimate mission, which we're going to talk about today of the cross, Ooh. resurrection and ascension, um, he did ministry as he went. Mm-hmm. So as he went to his mission, he did ministry. And that ministry was marked by ministering to the people that had been marginalized in that culture, in that day and time uh, when Jesus was incarnate, uh, living in the world. And so as a follower of Jesus, I want to follow him into that ministry to the marginalized, and I want to help others from churches and faith communities, and even just throughout our city for the common good, help other people step into the way of Jesus uh, by doing that. So that's kind of like my ultimate motive uh, for doing neighborhood evaluation work, and it's a blast. It's awesome, and I know it's definitely something that um, is kind of allows you to have lots of conversations with people of differing worldviews, I'm sure. And so yeah, um, definitely something that so. I want to talk about today. But I do want to start out with um, just kind of getting a little bit of your story. And I, I know some of it. I don't know all of it. But I know there was probably a, a time um, in your life where maybe you 
I don't know, would you say that you've always believed? Um, no, I, I would not say that if I'm being honest. Um, I, there was a time when I was driving out to Colorado to, to, to work a seasonal job at a ski resort, a ski lodge up on the mountains. And I remember I had packed a box of books and a box of clothes and my snowboard and that and that was it and i was going out and i never thought i would return because i was killing time uh, to the midwest right. <laughs> never thought i'd return to the midwest because <laughs> i thought i was going out there to kill time to go to the peace corps and i was oh. going to spend two years in eastern europe uh teaching english and um so i was just killing time getting out of evansville where i was slowly drinking myself uh, to death um but i i remember on the long drive out there with my box of books and my and my box of clothes uh thinking I'm going, while I'm out here in Colorado with this time, I'm going to figure out what I actually believe. <laughs> uh, I had set aside my Christian faith in, in my own mind, um, and I had decided that I was going to go out there as a blank slate, kind of open book uh, or open notebook, if you will. And, and so in the box of books was uh, books on Eastern religions, uh, books on philosophy, Western philosophy, uh, what's called continental theology or, or philosophy, uh, from Europe, uh, 18th, 17th, 18th century. Um, and I just wanted to go out there and in my spare time, read through these books and discover on my own, what I actually believed kind of setting my childhood faith that I grew up in Christianity aside. And I had affirmed in my own mind that I did not um, any more believe what I had been brought up in. Did you actually get to those books or did you just snowboard the whole yeah. time? Uh, <laughs> I did not get to those books. <laughs> great question. The story sounds great, right? Like, I've got a box of books. Got a box yeah. of books and they're no, still it, in my closet. It was a really, uh, interestingly enough, I actually went out there and sobered up. Uh, I worked under a, a guy, the a guy who owned the ski lodge was a military guy. And so <laughs> we had very strict rules, worked very, very hard, played very, very hard on the mountain snowboarding. Mm -hmm. So I actually was more sober during my time in Colorado, everyone always looks at me like, oh, I know what you did in Colorado. I was like, yeah, actually, I was more sober then than I had been mm -hmm. any time since I was 12 years old. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I did do a lot of reflection out there, but um, man, I worked hard. I didn't get to even a tenth of, of what was in that box. Um, but yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned this, that um, you called it your childhood faith. So faith that you've been around, you grew up around the church. Yeah, my dad was a youth minister. Mm -hmm. Dad's a, a youth minister. He's and my so, youth minister too. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> and you Matt guys Bribogles. are sitting here. Yeah. And Matt Breivogles. Wow, that's a trio um, that... I bet we need to have Danny on here oh, one time just to talk about stories. <laughs> I would have so much fun. Uh, I have a story about your dad from last Tuesday I need to tell you later, but we'll talk about that off the podcast. Um, but but I think that's important to think uh, for people to understand that um, I think so often we hear people that say, I, did, I don't believe and I didn't grow up in it, never heard anything about it. But going from it was something you were constantly around um, to a point where you wanted to try to figure out what that looked like. Can you talk a little bit about um, uh, what that was like growing up and what your, your idea of faith was. Yeah. So I had a wonderful church experience. A lot of people will talk about like hurts that they had in church or something like that. That was not my, uh, experience at all. I, I felt very loved. Uh, my parents were wonderful. I enjoyed going to church. Our youth group was a blast. I mean, we just had, had fun. And, and I, I also, you know, it was, it wasn't like I, didn't believe in those things. Like I, when I was growing up, I 
believed in him wholeheartedly. Like I believed in Jesus and I believed in the Bible and I understood the basic message of Christianity, you know, that we're, that we, we have sinned and we are in need of grace and Jesus died for us on the cross. And I, I, I believed these narratives and I, and I, to a certain extent of what I could as a, as a teenager processing these things, I affirmed them. But at the exact same time, I was also leading a life that could only be described as hedonism. <laughs> like I was doing whatever I could to bring myself pleasure. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by hedonism. And so what's interesting about that is reflecting, it's not like I was processing these things when I was 16, you know, this is on hindsight. Um, but on hindsight, what I realized is even my church experience was hedonism. Hmm. Uh, it brought me pleasure. Like I had fun doing the church youth group activities. I felt good when people in the, in the church loved on me and, and mentored me and showed me, you know, affirmation and spoke truth into my life in, in good and positive ways. So even those things I was using for self-pleasure, even the, Hmm. even the church experience. So in a sense, your worldview was, was hedonism and church was just a part of that sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And I would call it American syncretism is, is what I think the real, the real religion of America is. And what I mean by that is you take pieces of different worldviews, you know, we've been talking about all the different worldviews out there and you take all the different isms, like we've only looked at a few Mm -hmm. isms, you know, but there's actually a lot more. Um, I think there's a few basic ones that kind of these others file underneath, but for the most part, uh, you know, there's a lot more like hedonism, you know, Mm -hmm. self-pleasure and, and so, so, but America, we take whatever our religious preferences are, whatever feels good to us, whatever we can justify our behavior or actions. And we kind of parcel together, put together, uh, the religion of me, Mm -hmm. you know, the, whatever, feels good to me that will justify my behaviors in the way that I want to live. And that's certainly the case. And I want to say for the record, I don't think people necessarily do that consciously. Mm -hmm. I think actually very few people (laughs) do that. Uh, But I think it's more subconscious that's affected by our American culture that tells us it is all about us. It's about our own autonomy. It's about our own self-actualization. And so the easiest way for us to get to our self-actualization is to piece together a worldview that makes our actions justified, right? Like that's the easiest way forward. It's the less uh, cluttered path, if you will. And so I think we all do that. And the the American, especially here in the Bible Belt, Christianity, uh, there's echoes of it, if you will. Um, There's a lot of good things about loving your neighbor and Mm -hmm. grace and forgiveness. And these are all good things. And so we add all the good stuff we set aside all the challenging things, and then we live into a worldview that's actually all about ourselves. Yeah, that goes back to the whole, like you said, the unconscious st- part of it is it's all we're living. The background of where what we live in is this, uh, you know, expressive individualism where we build, our, we create our own identity, we create our own meaning, we build our own, and so that and so it happens at church too. We build our own view of church, you know, yeah. and. And Jesus is there, among other things that we we sprinkle in and that we want as well. So yeah, yeah. you're right. And what's what's really interesting about that is all that kind of individual individualism and autonomy. It is good to a certain point. It's actually part of the Christian worldview that we are unique, that we are individual beings and not part of the pantheistic world, right? Like mm-hmm. that we are Sarah, we are Zach, we are Austin, and even when Christ comes into and overtakes our lives and the spirit indwells in us, 
the part of the Christian worldview is that we retain some sort of uniqueness of who we are. And I, and I think that that, that's so it's like taking that part of the Christian message, which is good, which we like as Americans, but then taking it not to the, not to the end of the Christian worldview, (laughs) which ends at the cross. Oh yeah. And the resurrection. Uh, but it ends at ourselves and it ends at, whatever we need uh, to justify our existence or have pleasure in our lives. Something you and I have talked about before, and I always thought this is so interesting, um, especially for when we're talking to the next generation, whether that's mm-hmm. anyone younger than us at, at this point. Um, and, and so there was a point where you had said like you would do kind of one life on Friday and Saturday night. And mm-hmm. then on Sunday it was church, but it was never like this subconscious of, I don't believe that it was like, I believe I'm, I'm both of these. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think I that's can. interesting. And I just want to state for the record, I didn't do the one life thing on Friday or on Sunday. <laughs> I, this was before one True, life because yes. uh, I was on staff here. I don't want to get if it yeah. with the wrong impression. Good point. Thank you for clarifying <laughs> yeah. that. When you were an, yes, maybe in high school or younger. Yeah, high school teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would do, I mean, I think this is a story of a lot of people. I would go out and then I would drink um Friday and Saturday night, uh, I actually had it down in my budget where I knew exactly how much it cost to drink 12 beers and <laughs> smoke a pack of cigarettes. And so uh, I would save that. And Your put intro a... to budgeting was free. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. That's right. Yeah, Dave Ramsey would be uh, proud or my not. Word. Uh, anyways, anyways. Uh, so yeah, I would party on Friday and Saturday night, and then I would wake up and I'd go to church on, on Sunday morning. And both of those experiences were very real f- for me. Um, it wasn't like I was... Um, out Friday and Saturday night and hiding from the person I was on Sunday morning. And it wasn't like I woke up Sunday morning and was hiding the person I was Friday and Saturday night. But I did learn later through a wonderful book called Total Truth by Nancy Piercy, who's been mentioned on this podcast a few times as an author and thinker, Total Truth. I got exposed to this word for the first time um, called the secular sacred divide. Hmm. And um, I don't, Maybe, I mean, if you want, we can go into all of it, but you know, it's like a 400 page book. Um, but the basic idea is that through, through, uh, a kind of a natural process of Western philosophy, we took the things of the spiritual realm and we drove them upstairs. Um, we drove them into thinking and idea and feelings and emotions. And then, but then the secular world, the, the concrete things, what we've talked about is materialism in this, in this world, scientific, verifiable things. Um, they got driven down to the lower story. The, the, and what became real over time <laughs> was the things that happened in the lower story, the things that we could experience, things that <clears throat> we could quantify with numbers and, and percentages. And those became real and everything that was driven into the upstairs was unreal or, um, or at least pseudo real. Yes. Yeah. Secondary. And so if you could think about this, things like faith and belief and ideas, those things were all being driven upstairs. And of course, religion and Christianity and things like that got lumped into uh, the upper story. And so then over centuries, I mean, this was not something that happened over a short amount of time. It was a slow evolution of, of thinking and processing and ideas. Uh, it became easy for a teenager in Evansville, Indiana, to separate the things of his faith, drive them upstairs, but then go about 
what I would call the lived experience sure. separated from the rest of what I believed. And so both of those were very, very real to me and authentic in a certain way, to a certain extent, even authentic. And I think that's important for some Christians to hear, especially those who are um, maybe wringing their hands about where their teenagers are at in the process, um, that cultural forces are very, very strong. And these ideas developed over centuries and they're impacted by universities and philosophies and media. And that's very complex ways of thinking. And just because your teenager might be budgeting a 12 pack of beer and a pack of smokes on Saturday night, doesn't mean that they're completely being inauthentic about their faith that they're Mm. trying to live out on Sunday morning. It's just that they've gotten this secular sacred dichotomy uh, it's just ingrained in everything we do, and it's very hard to overcome, but it, it can be overcome. That's the encouraging word, but uh, maybe don't be discouraged in the process, but maybe understand it. Um, that way you can better help your children through it. That's really good. Uh, I, thank you for sharing that. And I want to, um, before we kind of get on, and I want to talk a little bit about um, this past Sunday, we talked about the cross and talking about um, is there a cure because we talk about like that there's... Um, just kind of a problem, but is there a cure to the problem? But what I, I do want to make sure we highlight is you talked about going to Colorado and you had these books and you, was there a point where you made this decision of what you did believe? Uh, what I believe currently? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I was called, I got a phone call from this uh, girl that I had met when I was 19 years old, a freshman in college. And uh, I hadn't talked to her in five years and um, we reconnected and were married five months later, <laughs> and she was living out a Christian life, uh, and I lived with her, and I saw something that wasn't separated from Monday through Saturday, and then faith was something on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I saw something, because I was living with her, a, a very holistic uh, faith life, uh, a life lived in faith, and Christianity was not a tack-on, but it was infiltrating every bit of her being. And I had to figure out what was going on there. You know, like I have to live with this the rest of my life. So I better, <laughs> uh, better explore this. So it was about a year and a half journey <laughs> of slowly, uh, surrendering to Christ. But yeah, I finally got to the point through reading books, through grouping with people, uh, at a local church, uh, having conversations, dialogues, observing other people living out their faith, very slow process. But yeah, I did get to the point finally where I realized, um, that I, affirmed that Jesus is Lord of my life. So there's obviously a lot more to that story. (laughs) It's a a great story. And, um, and now you're getting your doctorate. So it's like a whole, whole journey there. Um, but I do want to take some time and and ask you both a little bit about this. Um, because we did talk about the cross. We talked about the, um, the cure to the problem or, and, and I, I, I need to find the actual line. Um, but how can forgiveness, um, be offered, um, but also I got to look justice it up. Justice be satisfied. Yeah, that. justice be honored. Um, um, at the same time, and so we talked about the cross. But for you guys, when you're when you're kind of studying the cross, you're talking about the resurrection. Um, well, let's talk about the cross specifically. Were there things um, historically that you guys have read or know about that kind of moved you to believe that that was something that actually happened? I'll let Zach go first. I've been doing a lot of talking. Well, I'm a processor, so it's going to take me minutes <laughs> to think about it. <clears throat> I, I I almost believed and then had to, I think I worked it out while I was still believing it, because I grew up in church too, and I remember 
my son is eight and he's getting baptized uh, at our next baptism service coming up um, real quick, real soon. And um, I think I was about the same age and I believed as much as an eight-year-old could believe um, in in what Jesus did on the cross. And uh, and then since then, you know, it's just been get, get been filled out more and more. But at first it was just beliefs more kind of like innocent just I just believe because that's what you that's what you do when you Mm -hmm. grow up in church and stuff but over the years there's been a lot of reasons both experiential and um you know historical and evidential that that makes me continue to believe uh in that if that makes sense yeah absolutely it's kind of filled out over time one of the things that really helped me in historically was just understanding um what I'll call growing in confidence in the reliability of the Bible, um, just in general. Um, that, that was a big move for me. You know, I, I had heard these things that we've kind of talked about, these popularizations of, of kind of demeaning the Bible, that it was written really late uh, by authors that had an agenda, and it was like, uh, there's like this character of 450 A.D., you know, like 400 years after Jesus was actually alive and there's like these Roman Mm -hmm. uh, Catholic people up in the upper room of some sort of conspiracy theories, smoking cigars, like (laughs) doctoring the Bible they wanted it to be. Understanding that there's actual real historical work out there that just makes all that look so foolish was a major step for me in growing in my confidence from a historical perspective, just the formation of the Bible, that some of these creeds that, as we've talked about in this series, go to like maybe three to five years uh, from Jesus's life, and that um, all all of the New Testament uh, letters uh, or Gospels were written before 180 within a lifetime of a person and then getting older every year and realizing a lifetime ain't that long, <laughs> you know? Uh, so yeah. like growing in, in confidence in what the Bible says and, and kind of removing these pop narratives that surround scripture, which are still very powerful because they're out there in weird ways in media, um, that, that Christians are starting to recapture that. And, and it's actually interesting that a lot of universities are starting to, uh, and, and not what I mean by universities is not necessarily Christian universities, not necessarily Christian believing people, but just people that are historians are starting to apply the same rigors uh, of how you would evaluate other literary, ancient literary books, and then affirming the reliability of, of the Gospels. And most people haven't heard that and don't know it, and so they see these kind of emo- emotive uh, dismissals of the Bible and, and it's very powerful to them, and they don't know how to react. Uh, but really reading through them and understanding them for the first time, um, just just the historical reliability of Scripture, uh, gaining confidence in that made all the difference for me. And for me, too, the uh, going along with that, just as someone who grew up in a church uh, for a really long time, uh, the Bible was almost like, and I, I worry about this for my own kids, and, and that's why I also I love when I go downstairs and see them talking about scripture as a library but but for me it was almost like the bible was an alternate history i didn't see it like intertwined with with real history and it was just this one book that all was supposed to be read the same and and so as i've learned how to engage with the bible and how to see each um style you know from uh from poetry to 
um, gospel narratives, all that kind of stuff, and read that, it's it's become more you know alive and real too. Yeah, that's very true. If someone is exploring, they're looking for that information. What's something you would kind of suggest they do? A book they would look at? I mean, obviously the Bible itself, but if you're looking for saying, "Hey, I want something in a historical reference that says that this was real," any suggestions? Uh, well, Blomberg has a book, Historical Reliability of the Gospels. Um, I, I think uh, that is one of the preeminent books. And we that, all know, you know who Blomberg is, but just for the people <laughs> who Craig. don't, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> from, a, from a pure hermeneutics perspective, um, and, and hermeneutics just means the science and art of interpretation. So it's not just like the data that's there, like the literary genres and that, but it's like how we as human beings process information. That's the art piece. Um, it's, it is artistic, if you will, creative, if you will. Um, so I, there's a great book. It's called, uh, is there, is there a meaning in this text? And it's by Van Hooser. Uh, I, I just could not recommend that book more than enough. It is very dense read. Um, it will challenge you. Uh, but man, as far as understanding the philosophical moves that underlie these interpretive grids that we read the Bible with there, there isn't anything better than that. Anything to add to that? That I've read. <laughs> I'm sure there, there may be something better than that. No, I know that, yeah, I know uh, Lacona has, I think it's on our in our resource center, but it's, right. again, ginormous. Uh, but that, it just shows how much uh, research and evidence there is for the resurrection. You know, he's got a book. Uh, he And if you don't know Michael Lacona, he came to uh, One Life and spoke uh, last, last mm-hmm. year, two years mm-hmm. ago. But he's got, I think, a 500-page book in there about the history of the It's right behind you, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, wow, it is. But then I also I love um, the, I think, Tim Keller. I can't remember which one it is, but he just talks about the more um, existential pieces of the cross. Not not that, not the evidence for it, but just what it means for us to have a, to have a God that suffers with us and um, and for us and all that, and it's it's really good too. And it's, yeah, it's King's Cross, or he's re-released it as um, Christ the King. Uh, it is so good. I cannot re- recommend that one enough either. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I will say, just as a note, a good there is so many good resources out there. Really, I'll just say, if if you are sitting in ignorance, it's because that you choose to be. I'm sorry. I don't want. You know, that, that sounds harsh, <laughs> but it's the truth. Like if you. If you are sitting there listening to this podcast or sitting, you know, not listening to this podcast because it's a resource and you're probably not taking advantage of it. Um, But the reality is, is that anything that you would want to gain confidence in your faith at any level, from popular level down to the densest, you know, PhD Mm -hmm. work, it exists. There's such a rich history. And it's not just in the last few years. We have an amazing rich history in our, in our Christian faith from brothers and sisters that have been working on defending the faith or making clear the faith, proclaiming the gospel for 2,000 years. That's another thing. Like, I forgot. I didn't I didn't know. Like, I grew, Zach and I grew up in a church tradition where we didn't really talk about church history before the 1800s. Yeah, right. There's this amazing, rich historical uh, reality out there that we, 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 that goes untapped. And so my little moment of explosion of side note (laughs) of passion on that is like, if you genuinely want to put in the time and energy and resourcing, which you should, because I guarantee you, you also put in that much time into Netflix. You should put as least much time as you'd put into Netflix as you do into your faith. Um, 
at least, uh, there is plenty of resourcing out there. And any one of the campus pastors, anyone from staff, and, and most people in your lobbies on a Sunday morning would love to go on that journey with you, mm-hmm. especially if you opened up your life to doing that. And yeah. And, and if you hate if you hate reading, uh, another really easy on ramp would be I, we. If you were in our services Sunday, you saw uh, Brett showed a video um, on the moral argument. That was from a group called Reasonable Reasonable Faith. And if you went on YouTube and searched Reasonable Faith animated videos, I know there's at least a few on the on the resurrection historical reliability of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, six minutes each, you know, twelve minutes. You could have a pretty sound, uh, solid. Uh, reason to believe there. So. I think the I think the the channel's called Dr. Craig Videos, actually. Mm-hmm. So you can Craig find all those. Videos. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you guys. You can email us at podcast at onelifechurch.org. You can leave a comment on YouTube or on Apple Podcast or anywhere you're listening to this podcast. We'd love for you guys to share that out. Let more people hear this great content and have an opportunity to continue that conversation even further. Our music was produced by Michael Robertson and Ben Brock. My name's Sarah, and I produced this episode.